For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. For a bird that was on the brink of extinction just 100 years ago, you'd think turkeys would be a little less eager to hang out around humans. That's not the case at the NASA Ames Center in Mountain View, California. Thanks to listener Eric for bringing this one to our attention. A flock of almost two dozen turkeys have made a home in one of NASA's major research facilities in the Silicon Valley. What started as just a few fowl has grown into a serious problem, and wildlife officials are hoping to relocate the birds before the nesting season begins and little turkeys start running around. The birds are reportedly blocking traffic, pecking at cars and windows, leaving droppings around buildings, and posing a threat to aircraft operations. What's attracting turkeys to a NASA facility other than the possibility of joining the Mars mission? Well, it's not freeze-dried ice cream. But uh, it is the same thing that usually attracts wildlife and college students to people and buildings. Free snacks. Despite a no-feeding wildlife policy at the facility, employees are still handing out food, according to Mercury News. That's made it virtually impossible for wildlife officials to convince the birds to leave the premises. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife doesn't usually relocate problem turkeys, but they're making an exception in this situation. Sites around the facility are being baited with corn to get the turkeys on a schedule. When the birds flock in those areas several days in a row, wildlife officials will set up walk-in traps to snag as many birds as they can. Cop birds will be sent to the San Antonio Valley Ecological Reserve, located in Santa Clara County, about 32 miles east of San Jose. NASA isn't the only American institution struggling with too many turkeys. In Staten Island, that's New York. For those of you, you know, who don't travel, the turkey population has grown so large 
that some local officials have suggested creating a turkey task force to deal with the issue. The borough's turkey problem began in the late 1990s, legend says, when a local resident released nine pet turkeys at a nearby psychiatric center. Since then, the population has grown considerably. In 2011, state officials estimated that 100 turkeys roamed Staten Island, while the residents put that number at closer to 1,000. Now, some residents believe the problem is as bad as it's ever been, according to a local outlet, Staten Island Advance. Turkeys can regularly be seen around the hospital, on the street, in the yards, and even in front of the local Starbucks. Turkeys damage cars, ruin landscaping, hold up traffic, and some are sometimes aggressive towards humans. Local, state, and federal officials agreed in 2016 to work together to relocate the turkeys to an upstate sanctuary, but the sanctuary didn't have enough room for all of them. Local media reports that the sanctuary has received about 300 Staten Island turkeys, but there are still many more. City council members have committed to working with state officials to deal with the problem, but state officials have said relocation isn't the best solution. As far as I know, no alternative solutions have been proposed. Now, obviously, spring is coming on, these birds are going to get really loud, and I can think of some solutions, but it may not be amenable to Staten Island residents. Some residents who spoke with Staten Island Advance believe the turkey should be allowed to live on the island in peace. Under this plan, residents who struggle with problem turkeys would be able to call a turkey task force that can recommend how to deal with them. Hey kids, don't be late. Respect your elders. Don't be a turkey for your health. <laughs> this week, you guessed it, more bills that affect you, plus ancient teeth and lead. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week started off kind of rough. I had little Snorticus spayed, which I know there's a strange debate out there over whether or not she's a female, and trust me, she is. She just can't, you know, reproduce now. Which I want to get back to uh, the word spade. Spade is Greek for blade. You know, the operations performed with a knife. But, unless you live under a rock, uh, it's actually an ovario hysterectomy. Or perhaps even more accurately, a gonadectomy. Gonad being Greek for seed. So, if you're into the Greek, the term hysterectomy was pieced together from this overly male notion that hysteria comes from the uterus in a woman, and by removing the uterus, the hysteria would therefore be removed with it. Now, don't try getting away with that one at home. I made the decision to wait until Snort was just about to her second heat cycle, Oddly enough, the North Dakota episode of Duck Lore, which, let's be honest, just did not feature enough snort, was filmed during her first heat cycle. There was indeed some odd behavior that week, but nothing I would consider even close to hysterical or hysteria. April 28th will be snort's second birthday, and the calendar was basically open this week, so, you know. Anyway, this is the oldest or longest I've waited to have a dog fixed, as they say. It's definitely different. Puppies don't seem to notice all that much, but Snort has been in this world long enough to sense her mortality. If you're familiar with her snake bite scenario, uh, she knows how close she can get to death. At least, that's what I noticed, and it was a sad thing to notice. We were walking out of the vet's office, and a dog barked a long way away, and she was like, man, I cannot defend myself. It was painful. But she is doing good now, even though she loves her walks and we can't really do much exploring right now, she's chipper. 
The day after her operation, I loaded her into the ice fishing sled, wrapped in a blanket, and along with my buddies Steve, Chester, and Seth, we hit the local Ducks Unlimited ice fishing derby. And I gotta say, my you know, I'm back to being a horrible ice fisherman. I only pulled one perch from the 40 or so holes I drilled. But if you want to eat fish, fish with Chester. He is covetously clutching one of those Garmin live scopes and has been stacking up fish, which he cannot eat. He's allergic to fish. And I, I do have to say in regards to the live scope, those boys look at that screen in a way that makes me want to shout, Get back! You're going to hurt your eyes! But son of a buck, it works. It's an edge on the rest of us hole drillers. And that is for sure and for certain. Now, before we move on to the legislative lap, recently a published article in the journal Science titled Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America, which is the first study of lead poisoning of wildlife at a nationwide scale, and it demonstrates the unseen challenges facing these two iconic species. That's according to the lead author of the study and research wildlife biologist for conservation science global, Dr. Vince Slabe. This study evaluated lead exposure in more than 1,200 bald and golden eagles sampled between 2010 and 2018 and found age-related and seasonal variation in lead poisoning. A few studies prior to this have shown these trends at local levels, but demonstrating these patterns at a continental scale helps us to understand what causes this variation and potentially how to address the issue. That's according to Dr. Todd Katzner, who's the co-author and research wildlife biologist for the U.S. Geological Survey. Now, uh, this is a really cool study. And as per usual, the news outlets, be they hunter-friendly or not, really did a piss-poor job of covering it. Hunters kill half of America's eagles, was a catchy headline that I read. And another referred to this article as pure anti-hunting propaganda. Well, here's the deal, friends and neighbors. Lead, when ingested, kills birds who have a highly acidic stomach, like eagles and vultures, you know, birds tough enough to ingest carrion. Cool birds. And it does not take a lot of lead to make a bird sick or kill it. It has been proven that the tiny fragments of hunter's bullets that remain in gut piles is plenty enough to kill the symbol of America's freedom. We have to be aware of this as hunters. We can make a choice of shooting lead or non-lead. Now, for much of my season, I shoot trophy copper at big game, and I opt to shoot incredibly expensive and deadly federal bismuth at waterfowl, and truthfully in most upland game situations, too. To jump forward to this pen-raised bird topic we're going to talk about in a little bit, those birds, pen-raised birds, die really easily, and I know I will not lose them, so I will shoot lead at planted birds. And yes, occasionally when I'm feeling good and confident in wild bird scenarios, I'll throw some lead in the mix too. Lead kills really well. There's no way around that. Really good upland bird areas are home to really good numbers of raptors, and I shoot a lot of lead at the range. This year, I have a personal goal of shooting at least six cases of shells at the trap range. Eagles across America are kicking ass. What this paper proves is that they could be doing better, faster. They could be growing and spreading across the United States at a much steeper population curve. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, I'll sum that up one more time, okay? Eagles are growing, but they are growing in spite of the fact that lead is killing them, all right? They are population swamping the lead, okay? 
Now, if you're in a situation where you can choose to not shoot lead, like if you know there's a high probability of uh, raptors dining on your gut pile, or you are a terrible bird shot, you know, you wound the crap out of things and they fly away with little lead pellets and you watch the owls and the hawks and the peregrine falcons swoop down on top of them. Well, you know, there are alternatives to shooting lead and you should consider those. That's all there is to it. Be an informed hunter. All right, moving on. Again, folks, we are trying to cover as many states as possible during our bill roundup as I like to call it, the bad bill roundup, because there's not that many good examples. And what you really need to take away here is this happens every year. There are many, many bills that all these conservation groups and good folks call in and fight off on your behalf, and you need to get your head in the game. So I'm providing these examples to you. So hang on to your seats, because this is another quick-hitting outdoor bill roundup. There is no off-season when it comes to staying informed and engaged. In Alabama, state regulators recently proposed a rule that would have made a hunting buffer zone around a state wildlife management area. This rule would have limited access to public duck hunting in favor of a private hunting club. Fortunately, groups like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers got the word out, and the state received over 1,000 comments opposing the rule, while only 50 comments supported it. And I bet we can guess where those 50 came from. I mean, seriously, gang. A couple of beers at the old duck club ran away with everybody? What were you thinking? Fortunately, the rule was abandoned earlier this year. In Arizona, a resolution is being considered in the state legislature that would oppose the Biden administration's 30 by 30 initiative. As we've covered on the show, this program seeks to conserve 30% of our nation's land and water resources by the year 2030, but the details of the program are still being worked out, and it's not yet clear what will count as, quote, conserved. For this reason, I'd call this resolution a big waste of time on behalf of folks that are supposed to be working for you. They don't have a clue what 30 by 30 is, but they're going to make a rule that says they don't like it and they won't consider it and they don't agree with it. Either way you feel, contact your duly elected. In California, animal rights groups are once again trying to ban black bear hunting throughout the state. After a ban was defeated in the legislature, these groups submitted Petition 2021-27 to the California Fish and Game Commission. The petition demands that open black bear hunting be suspended until further study is done on the black bear population and how that population is affected by droughts and wildfires. They also want the state's bear management plan to be updated to include the best available science, including social science. Over 80 people testified at the commission meeting on February 17, and the commission voted to refer the petition to the Department of Fish and Wildlife for more information. The department says it should be able to offer an opinion at the April meeting. One more from the Golden State. The legislature is currently considering a proposal that would establish a Bill of Rights for Cats and Dogs. I won't comment further on that, but Snort will. She tells me she approves, as long as her bird hunting rights are properly accounted for, and her friends who happen to be hound dogs can run cats and bears, uh, and they need to especially consider the fact that they can't read private property signs. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it, and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it 
to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. And use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. In Florida, the state Senate passed Senate Bill 2508 that requires agencies that regulate Lake Okeechobee to certify that there will be enough water available to farmers. Opponents of this bill say the policy could kill fish by hampering the removal of harmful discharges. Just for reference, even though a bill is passed, it still needs to be signed. So if you're opposed to this one, there's still time to call. The Georgia legislature is considering House Bill 1147, which would allow hunters and trappers to go after raccoons and opossums year-round. The bill has been passed by the House and is now being considered by the Senate. In Hawaii, a bill that was passed last year banning all shark fishing in state waters just took effect at the beginning of this year. The Idaho legislature is currently considering House Bill 507, which would make it legal for bow hunters to use lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads in the taking of game. Whether or not you support this rule change, it represents yet another attempt by the state legislature to set hunting regulations in place of the Fish and Game Commission. Just something to keep in mind. I much prefer fixed blades to expandables, but I don't really care what you shoot. You want your knock to glow after you fling it? Super. Petition your state wildlife agency and they can make those changes if enough of your fellow hunters want those changes as well. Regulations are easier to change than laws 
keep the lawmakers out of it. Indiana residents can expect to pay more to hunt and fish and trap this year. At the end of 2021, the state's Department of Natural Resources announced that it would increase license fees for the first time since 2006. A combo hunting and fishing license is up from $25 to $32. In Iowa, lawmakers are considering a bill that would allocate $20 million federal dollars from the American Rescue Plan to repair and renovate Iowa's 71 state parks, forests, and preserves. $4 million of those dollars would go to renovating on-site housing for park rangers. The Iowa DNR announced this year that it would no longer be allowing park rangers to live in on-site housing and they cited the cost of upkeep as the primary factor. With these federal dollars, rangers would likely be able to stay in their homes, which they say is necessary to respond to emergencies in a timely manner. If you pay attention to the real estate market, then you know housing near open spaces is increasingly out of reach. Park ranger salaries won't allow for quick commutes. Thanks to Dan for bringing this bill to our attention. If you'd like to contact your duly elected in Iowa, The bill number is HF2255. The Kentucky General Assembly passed a bill on Friday, February 18, that would, among other things, remove the requirement that a minor must submit the written permission of a parent or guardian before obtaining a youth hunting license. The bill, HB344, will now be considered by the state Senate. In Maine, HP 1454 would require hunters who hunt with dogs to obtain a permit before training dogs or hunting certain animals. It would also require dog owners to use GPS tracking collars and prohibit hunting with dogs in a manner that results in the hunting dog entering the property of another if the owner has been previously notified that the landowner does not want dogs on their property. The bill was introduced in January and is currently being considered by the Committee on Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. If you want my opinion on this one, which I'm sure you do, dogs will always get you in trouble, despite your best intentions, and even despite a very expensive GPS tracking collar. This is a good neighbor policy, not a law or a regulation change. Call your committee members if you feel the same way. In Montana, the Upland Game Bird Enhancement Program is up for public comment. In fact, comments are due by February 28th. The title of this one, Upland Game Bird Enhancement Program, is actually a misnomer, as the Upland Game Bird Enhancement Program is not for enhancing upland game bird numbers, habitat, the health of upland game birds, or access to upland game birds. This program is the state's put-and-take hatchery bird program. In neighboring states like Idaho, with similar programs, these birds are purely a hunter recruitment tool. Get old dogs and young kids birds. What is different, and unfortunately so with Montana's program, is that there are no additive opt-in fees for hunters to pay into this program, so these pen-raised birds are being reared on license sales to the tune of $1 million. Two sides of this story, for sure. One, I'll tell you that a good buddy of mine, Ronnie Bame of the Hunting Dog Podcast, will tell you that if it weren't for pen-raised birds, he never would have became a hunter, as that was all there was where he grew up. And there's this side. If you travel outside of the great state of Montana to states that truly embrace upland birds, such as Kansas, South Dakota, North Dakota, you'll see what Montana and Idaho lack everywhere you turn. Cover and food for upland birds. 
some of which is state-sponsored. Pen-raised birds have a 24-hour lifespan when left on their own. This is a predator feeding program with a hunter recruitment spin to the tune of $1 million. What we need here in the state is habitat on the ground, not pen-raised poultry. Returning to the state of Massachusetts from last week, Sunday hunting could be legalized through H914, H984, H1015, H1019, and S547. To be honest, we're not sure what the difference between all these bills are. Just call your reps and voice your support for Sunday hunting and let them concentrate on the various bill numbers. We also need to mention Governor Baker's 2023 budget bill for Massachusetts, which includes provisions to allow archery hunting on Sundays and decreases the setbacks or safety zones from 500 feet to 250 feet for archery, which increases hunting opportunities right where the whitetail deer are. Now, there's a side note from the fellow who wrote in uh, and made sure that we mentioned the governor's budget bill. He says, since moving to Massachusetts two years ago and being motivated by you and Meat Eater, I've been attending the State Wildlife Commission monthly board meetings and other public hearings that may touch on hunting or access. I often provide public comments in support of hunting and trapping. This is how I learned of the governor's 2023 budget bill. Let that be a lesson to everybody. Don't let that dude do all the hard work for you. Quit being such a freeloader. In Michigan, HB 5631 would direct the Michigan Department of Natural Resources to develop a management plan for the American woodcock. This plan would ensure that the Great Lakes State continues to manage their forests with these little game birds in mind. If you like to hunt and eat woodcock and you live in Michigan, get on the phone with your duly elected. The next proposal would affect folks in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Thanks to Zach from New Jersey for bringing this one to our attention. The Sierra Club is petitioning state and federal officials to turn the Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area into a national park. Proponents of the change have assured hunters that the national park will include a preserve to protect hunting and fishing, but it's unclear how big that preserve will be. In any case, the change will almost certainly ban hunters and anglers from accessing thousands of acres they currently enjoy. The decision will be made by the United States Congress, so those are the folks you want to contact. We need, at a minimum, to protect the rights to roam that we currently have. Let's not lose any ground, especially in states that have a serious white-tailed deer overpopulation problem. I wonder what the insurance companies think of this bill. New Mexico is in the middle of a huge fight about water access, and some believe the governor is using her power to appoint game commissioners that will tilt the commission in favor of the few landowners that feel entitled enough to tell the world, New Mexicans included, that they can't use a river that the use of is guaranteed in the state constitution, and even before that. The state chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is urging members to write to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham and express opposition for the recent firings of pro-public water access commissioners. Also, we need to call out New Mexico Wildlife Federation for their incredible work on this issue. Finally, over in Rhode Island, House Bill 7439 would prohibit importing native and non-native big game animals to conduct captive hunts within private facilities. This bill, which joins 13 similar bills that have been proposed but never passed since 2018, is designed to limit the spread of chronic wasting disease as well as feral pigs. 
When you contact your reps, mention H7439 specifically, as there's a similar bill but less effective in play at the moment. If you want to look at the New England Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website, there's some good information there as well. All right, that's it for this week's roundup. We'll be covering more outdoor-related bills in the coming weeks. If there's a bill or policy you thought we messed up or missed, let us know by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themediator.com. And remember, there's a lot out there. Pay attention, send those emails, and make those phones ring. Moving on. Earlier this month, a security camera in Chihuahua, Mexico, caught a flock of yellow-headed blackbirds dropping from the sky. It looks like a huge truckload of gravel pouring onto the ground. After the crash, onlookers filmed hundreds of birds dead on the pavement. The internet then did what the internet does. The birds were electrocuted. No, they all inhaled gas fumes. No, 5G internet signals scrambled their brains. The explanation for the crash is both less dramatic and way more interesting. A completely normal phenomenon, known as murmuration, had gone terribly wrong. No, murmuration isn't a subgenre of uh, mumblecore movies. It's the coordinated swarming behavior that you've likely seen in flocks of starlings, or schools of fish, or clouds of bees. The shapes and movements of these swarms are tremendously complex, forming donuts, waves, amoebas, funnels, and dozens of other shapes, all in a matter of seconds. Scientists first studying murmuration in the 1930s believed that members of the swarm had to be connected via telepathy, but subsequent studies found that the behavior was the result of lots of local adjustments by every individual bird. A 2013 study in the journal PLOS Computational Biology demonstrated that each member of a murmuration of starlings responds to exactly seven adjacent birds using only three decisions. Get closer, move further away, or stay in alignment. Avian nervous systems work many times faster than ours, and so they can take in the movements of their neighbors and adjust their flight path almost instantly. Scientists hypothesize that murmuration allows birds to conserve the flock's body heat and that it allows them to confuse and overwhelm predators, which is likely what happened in Chihuahua. An evasive predator technique gone wrong. Each bird is following the seven around it instead of keeping an eye on the ground. A raptor, likely a peregrine falcon or a hawk, had been chasing the flock, and when I dip, you dip, we dip. You dipped the chip, you took a bite, and you dipped again. <laughs> Moving on. Scientists excavating the Mandarin Cave in France have discovered a human's child tooth that establishes the presence of a modern Homo sapien in Europe 54,000 years ago. That's 10,000 years earlier than previously thought. The excavation of Mandarin Cave has been ongoing for decades, and every layer of sediment has revealed continuous habitation, just by very different tenets. From 80,000 years ago, Neanderthals lived in the cave. Then Homo sapiens moved in around 54,000 years ago. But they only stayed for about 40 years before, you know, changing the curtains and flipping the cave at a tidy profit. Then Neanderthals reestablished themselves for the next 12,000 years or so because, you know, proximity to schools and the ants dying and stuff like that. We've talked before about the idea in anthropology that Homo sapiens arrived in Europe once and then steadily wiped out the Neanderthals. But now it looks like several different waves of modern humans came to Europe and either died off or went back to warmer climates before becoming permanently established. Regardless, 
if we are this good at figuring out exactly what happened in a cave with people 80,000 years ago, just think about how much future archaeologists are going to know about you, or me, or us. It might make you think twice the next time you're about to pick your nose. Some scientist 100,000 years from now might write some amazing thesis paper on, you know, what you were doing. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, spring is coming on. Things are going to get dirty as that snow recedes and look at all those dirty, broken branches and crudded up yard. So track down a friendly local steel dealer and they'll help you get set up with what you need and not what you don't. Go to www.steeldealers.com. And most importantly, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.